This episode of the Wedding Film School Show is brought to you by Musicbed, the best music licensing platform for wedding filmmakers. Head over to themusicbed.com and enter our code WFS on checkout to get a free month on your annual wedding subscription. Now, on to the show. We want to talk about pricing today. You know, anytime you say pricing, it just makes people's ears burn. People talk about it all the time Non-stop. and brag about it all Non-stop. the time. We are primarily trying to talk about like how to know what you can get away with charging based on where you are today. If they have zero experience whatsoever, what do you think they should charge? Should they do a free wedding? Oh, of course. You should do free weddings until you feel like what you're doing is worth money. There is a big difference between what you can charge and what you should charge based on your quality of work. Just because you can't charge what you think you're worth, that's not a failure. You just, you got to keep working to get there and figure out where the problem was. Was the problem you're getting to the wrong person? Was the problem you just didn't get enough inquiries? Figure something out and go back in the chain. Just raising your prices doesn't create the demand. Even in the luxury market, doesn't create the demand. A planner's not going to hire you because they go, oh, this person's charging $10,000. Hello and welcome to the Wedding Film School Show. Back again for another great episode. Like usual, I have my co-host and business partner, Jason McCutcheon, with me. And uh, I would say we have just an awesome show today, Jay. It's just you and I. One that I think, um, you know, anytime you say pricing, it just makes people's ears burn, right? Because everybody wants to charge more money. And like, we talk about money a lot, but I kind of feel like why, you know, for some reason, we kind of avoid this pricing topic. I wonder why that is. Well, uh, I mean, money, I think, makes people feel uncomfortable, especially like when we're talking to wedding filmmakers, because we just want to make art. We want to make something. But at the same time, you know, everyone kind of wants to talk about pricing because it's like, how do I make this something I can do forever? Well, yeah, it's like the money side. And I also think like you're naturally going to associate like money with clout. Yeah. Right. It's like. You want to feel like what you're doing, it's very validating. Yeah. Like this is, I think, the unspoken part is like when I sell a $10,000 package, I f- f- only in that moment do I feel like I'm worth $10,000. Mm-hmm. Like I could, it doesn't matter how good my films are or whatever, like the, the actual selling or not selling of the thing is very emotionally like tied to your identity and mm. and all that, which is, I think, like one of the reasons why it's such an important topic for people and they want to talk about it, but also why it can be so... Kind of. Do, do you find that filmmakers oftentimes, you know, if you're watching people on YouTube or whatever, you always hear this, right? People are like, I don't say this to brag. I don't but, say you know, this to brag. But I just sold a $10,000 wedding film. It's always has that like pre-qualifier. Of like, I just wonder like. Anytime you talk about money, it's like, oh, you know, because actually what they probably, if you say that, I'm always, always like. You're bragging. But I don't care bit. about bragging. Like, But it I think should just be is, common language for I us. I think bragging is fine, first of all. Go ahead and brag. I don't care. <laughs> Who cares? Like, Controversial if, statement. If you're so day. insecure like that someone else can't talk about their success, that says more about you than them. Well, this is what I would say is in public, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, you, you can't talk about it, right? But in private – People talk about it all the time Non-stop. and brag about it all Non-stop. the time. Or they so, or the humble brag is a thing for a reason. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, no, it's easy. You should just do because I always am selling twenty thousand dollar packages. Right, that's a brag. Right, <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> I, I think it really comes down to like, um, 
people want to feel like what they're doing is valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good, normal, healthy thing to want. And I totally support that. And I don't think it's ridiculous that you would associate what you charge with the fulfillment you have in yeah. your work. It certainly makes it a lot easier if you're charging a good amount of money. Yeah. So so I would say we want to talk about pricing today and how should you price yourself in 2023? And we were like, how do we talk about this without just telling people this is the price you should have? You right, know? right. And I think it's important to say like, these aren't just numerical numbers. It's not like if you're starting, you should charge this much because obviously the market is going to be different for country to country. We have a lot of people that listen overseas, but then also uh, even within our own country here in the US, like the markets are totally different in different parts of the country as well. Um, And also there's a bunch of different tiers of wedding filmmakers too. So like uh, the most important part and kind of what we're gonna talk about is like how to put yourself into a certain category, how to figure out where you are. Well, evaluating when you should be making adjustments, when are like, when are like, And I think it's also like one of those things to say, like there is a big difference between what you can charge right now based on the audience you have and what you should charge based on your quality of work and your branding. And oftentimes people kind of mistake that. They'll be like, well, my work is way better than this guy. I've literally seen that so many times. My work is way better than this person. It's so frustrating that they're charging so much money. And I'm like, yeah, but they're been in the industry five more years than you. <laughs> Their website is better. Don't mistake those two things. We are primarily trying to talk about like how to know what you can get away with charging based on where you are today. You know, I don't love like thinking about like it's great to imagine what you want to be and to strategize to get there. Awesome. That's great. We we're fine. Like that's a totally other topic. If your goal is to charge $20,000 for a wedding film, be a luxury wedding filmmaker, that's great. You should go for that goal. But like, let's just imagine you're not that and you're asking, okay, what should my prices be? So that's kind of what our, how we want to handle it today. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, how do I sell the wedding? Right. Right. So we're going to go through a couple different things. And, and I think we should first say like, right off the bat, we're going to talk about um, kind of, I would say normal weddings because there's, uh, like I mentioned, different tiers of the wedding industry. Um, and different wedding markets, um, the way that you're going to price things is going to be different, obviously, when you just start, when you're doing your country club weddings. And then once you also get into this high-end luxury kind of market, I would say we're going to start pretty basic. And then at the very end, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the luxury market because well, it's you like have to price it totally different. B2C versus B2B. Right. Is really how it is. Explain that. What is that? What does that mean? So in, in marketing, B2C is business to customer, which means like, or consumer, which is directly this person who wants the thing says, I want hamburgers or I want. I do want hamburgers. That'd be great to have a hamburger. But whatever it is they want to buy, they come directly to the provider, like, and they buy, you know, so you market to that person, you compete for them versus B2B is like, they are like, there's a cleaning service company that we've done some work with and they don't want your wife to hire them to clean their house. They want building managers to hire them to clean large commercial buildings. Like, so you can't just run a Facebook ad and target the 2000 people in Massachusetts who have the job building manager. There's not enough of a group of people. You have to 
handle the like marketing and sales totally different. So B2B is you're selling to a business. B2C is you're selling directly to a customer. Now at the end of the day, B2B has a customer, but I think it's like, it's the difference between like being able to market to a lot of people and hear a lot of no's versus like, you're going to get a really high close rate. And mostly you don't like, if you're only selling the planners and you want to book 12 weddings a year, you might get like 30 inquiries. Right. And you might close on almost all of them versus like, if you have, you're not in that place yet in your career where you have those networking relationships or you don't want that, you might get tons of inquiries. Right. And you close on 15% of them because the people call you, they're like shopping five other providers. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. B2B tends to get their pet people. You're my provider. Once I find someone I like, I work with you, maybe one other person, you're my people. B2C, they're always shopping five, six, seven other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're trying to, they have a complex range of things they're looking at, price, availability, quality, a, lo- a lot of things that aren't just simply the things that do I know you and do I like working with you? Right, right. And the things that you're going to want to appeal to will be different for both of those customers. So we'll, we'll dive into that more towards the end. So if you're kind of in that market and you're like, ah, I want to, I'm doing the country club weddings, I'm doing, you know, downtown city weddings, but I'm not really working with a lot of planners. We're going to talk about that more in the end of the episode because we do have a company, a couple, two of our companies actually work a lot with planners now. Um, and so I think we have a lot of, um, yeah, valuable kind of information for uh, filmmakers trying to work into that space. So, but, but let's start off first and, and talk a little bit about, um, you know, you had said something interesting in, in the pre-prep. Um, about the difference about what you can charge versus what you should be charging. Can you kind of need that out a little bit for, for someone who might well, not know what you mean there? I kind of mentioned it earlier, but it's like what you can charge is like what you can actually charge and book the weddings. Right. Right. Like you could say like you could – you should say – you could say your films are X quality and – yet no one will buy them. And that could be that nobody who could afford that is actually looking at your films. Like you should be able to charge $5,000, but no one who has heard about you can afford $5,000. So you can't. Right. Even though you should, you can't. Um, You should be able to charge $5,000, but your website sucks. So you can't, you know, or you're just too new. So you can't. So it's like, it's the difference between like, how good you are, which is, I think, what we're preoccupied with, versus how good you sell mm-hmm. and who you know. Right. And I think this principle is pretty important for people who are just starting off because you might be starting off and you either know a ton about making films, about just video production in general, or you might be pretty new. <laughs> you might not know anything. Um, the person who's just starting off who has a lot of experience, you might be like, oh, I've done commercial works for, you know, or music videos for Snoop Dogg or whatever. You have a lot of experience. You're like, I can charge $10,000 for a wedding film. Guess what? If you start charging $10,000 for a wedding film off the bat with no leads, with no marketing, whatever, no one will ever hire you regardless of what your talent is. Right? It's over for you. Right. It's over before it even began. So you're saying you should charge on what you should charge even if you have a ton of talent, you should probably bring your prices down to be able to create that demand. So we're you gonna... need to know when the when the time is right to charge what you should charge, mm-hmm. and like the, what you should charge is the goal. And there's a lot of steps that need to get there besides make good work. And 
you know, I don't know if that's really exactly what we're talking about today. That's pretty complex. But I think at the end of the day, just because you can't charge what you think you're worth today, um, that's not a failure. You just you got to keep working to get there. Like, I think the question is always, what should I charge today? Mm-hmm. Right. How do I OK? How do I know what I should be charging? Am I underpriced? Am I overpriced? Like, what's my strategy to raising my prices? Yeah. Like kind of that I think is more practical and maybe a more helpful discussion. Yeah. And we, we actually did a, a podcast recently called Are You Good, right? Or actually, I don't know if that's actually what we are going to call it. <laughs> we just and I don't know it. if we're releasing this in a different order. Yeah. Uh, but uh, definitely check that one out because that one is a little bit complex. We did a whole episode on just how to decide, are you good? And, you know, obviously that goes into how much you're going to be charging for your wedding. So definitely check that one out if you're like, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> Am I good? Uh, that, that's one you, you can uh, yeah easily go on and uh, check out. So um, we also had mentioned, you know, the benefit here of growing your referral tree when you first start, right? So that that's essentially what you're doing when you first hop into the industry and you're charging less than maybe what you could charge, you're charging what you should charge. Um, what do we mean when we talk about a, a referral tree? What What's that uh, term in reference to? Basically, it's like, you know, the people who refer the people who refer the people, and it should have some level of exponential growth. Like Johnny works with you, Johnny refers Susie, Matt, Adam, Matt, Matt, and they each refer three people. Now, given assuming perpetual growth is a very dumb mistake because people typically, especially of marrying age, know less and less people. Like imagine like your parents don't know anyone getting married anymore. Right. Right. So um, unless they have kids. And so at the end of the day, like you got to keep creating new branches off your tree. You can't just rely on the ones you generated at the beginning of your career. But I think creating more referrals will create more opportunities to hone in on what you really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like if you have 50 weddings that you've shot over the last 18 months, like you got through it, you shot them. That person's better off having more portfolio than the person who shot 10 weddings, Mm -hmm. especially if they're similarly priced in a similar market because that person can curate that like just the ability to make a reel with the best moments from 50 weddings is better than being able to um just from a marketing standpoint but not only that and the most important thing in terms of referral trees is like that person who has the 50 leads has way more opportunities to get more leads and say every person on that which just is not reasonable Let's say they all average two referrals. I think that's high. I don't think, I don't, I bet we don't average, I bet we average less than one referral per couple we work with mm-hmm. from a client referral. Yeah. And, I, and we're probably average mm-hmm. on the industry. It's probably 0. 0.7. I bet it's like even less. Who knows? But I like, have no idea. Whatever the number is, like you're getting those referrals, like you never know. Now, I do think you tend to stay in similar places. Like if, this is where things can get tricky with referral trees. It's like if you get a referral from Susie and she paid you $1,000, that referral she's going to give you is going to probably be a $1,000 couple. Yeah. So I don't think you necessarily – it can't be everything. But I will say if you shoot $50,000 weddings or $2,000 weddings or whatever you consider to be kind of a fair entry-level price – 
probably some of them will be bangers. Mm-hmm. Like even if 10% of them are exactly what you want, you can start showing those things, but you also might pay special attention to those couples if you have someone who you're like, I want more referrals from this person. It's just about creating your marketing, yeah. creating more opportunities to get your price up. The saying goes, you know, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Kind of the same concept. It's not necessarily the harder you work. It's kind of like the more you work, the luckier you get because you're going to get more opportunity to shoot great venues, work with a photographer, work with a planner, work with the people that you might want to work with down the line. You're just creating that referral. Well, it'd be like if there was one player in the MLB who got 100 strikes at the plate. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. So, and, and so when we're talking about referrals, we mean couples, we mean photographers, we mean planners. These are all kind of Venues. people that will end up referring you. Um, and, you know, this is this is the way it works. A lot of times, a uh, couple gets married. Two years later, sister gets married. Who are they immediately going to go to? They're going to go, they're going to go to you. They're at least going to check you out to see if your prices have changed. Right. Um, if they're looking to hire a wedding filmmaker, they're not just going to start with Google. They're going to go, Hey, uh, who did, uh, Jenny, uh, hire for their, okay. Uh, it was stop, go love. Let's check them out. Let's send them an inquiry. Okay. They're within our price range. Their film was so amazing. Their film was so amazing. I didn't even realize they were there. Oh yeah. I remember them. They were really nice. Like these things, these, this is how things actually work around the dinner table while you're meeting up or, or sisters calling each other on the phone. Uh, oh yeah, they were great. I think I'm just going to reach out to them. Do you remember what their prices were? What package did you go with? Okay. Yeah. So uh, us on the, on the tail end, we might get a phone call and a lot of times it'll be a year or two later. Um, they'll be like, what are your prices? Oh, okay. I think Jenny paid 1500 for her wedding. I see that you guys are up to $2,000. That's probably not too much of a jump that, you know, we can't afford it anymore. Do you offer any discounts? Like, you know, I was expecting to pay this. You know, I think that's a question that you need to answer whether or not you're going to, you know, have a hard no in that case or if you, you're willing to bend the rules a little bit. Me personally, I'd probably say, no, that's our current prices, you know. Um, but, you know, something to think about as you're asked that question, because a lot of times you'll be asked that question on the phone <laughs> when you're talking to someone. I think you should have a, a, a good automated response. Um, but this is the way things actually work. This referral tree actually works. Um, and these referral trees can open and close because siblings only have a certain amount of siblings before that referral tree closes out. And then also, um, you know, uh, friend groups, say 10 sorority sisters, you know, all know each other. Sororities are the best, right? Uh, because it's yeah, like, that's where the money is. That, that's where the money is. You start working with, you know, these groups. I, I can't tell you how many wedding filmmakers get started. And it's like, oh, man, things really took off when I got introduced to Alpha, Kappa, Beta, whatever. And they were like, hey, Jenny, Susie, you know. So you're telling Becky. me attractive women who have the money to go to colleges. Yep who are of marrying age yep. are an excellent demographic to sell weddings to. Yes, yes. Ah, interesting. Uh, it's, 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 it's great. But getting into those crowds, creating your uh, referral trees is, is, is what it's all about if you're first starting. And, and, and that's what we're saying. The more opportunities you get to strike, you know, the more opportunities you get in with these groups and you're going to just start knocking them out of the park, increase your uh, closing rate, and, um, yeah, really so start that, your business. Really. So let's just let's just – Ask, ask the question, what should people be charging? Right. 
So like, I think the best way to do this is like, let's start off with those people that are just starting off. So um, I think what we did, I can just say what we did in 2010 is we shot our first one for free, right? <laughs> that was a freebie. Our, our, our journey is strange. Our journey is strange, but it, it's the only way I know how to start a business. So it's what I can feel like I can actually have confidence in talking about is like, first one we did was free, um, mainly because I didn't want to screw anybody. I had a lot of experience working in production, um, you know, doing music videos, doing documentaries. I was the DP of a production company down in Texas. Um, so that's how I got my start. And I still did my first wedding for free. So I probably could have charged $5,000 off the bat for a wedding film. Um, we were kind of at a weird time in the wedding film world where things were changing into, you know, NLE <laughs> uh, weddings and, and actual edited weddings from taped weddings. I think it was the first time there was actually um, – because I, I used to edit tape, and I was not interested in weddings until you were able to record to a SD card. Yeah, DSLR filming. That was it. So it was kind of a weird thing for us, but that's what we C did. Sorry, CF card. So, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and then we went to a wedding show and sold a bunch of weddings. No, we sold uh, one wedding. Was it One. But one. then the next year we sold eight. I think we might have ended up selling two at yeah. that one because one person ended up closing later. Yeah. But we sold Nicole yeah. at that very first wedding. And but, it went from but zero we, dollars to like what, like six well, sixty no, five hundred for our first wedding? Yeah, we we our first <laughs> but we before that we we got ten thousand dollars from a commercial gig. Right. Which we used to sponsor our fake nice appearance. Yeah. At this we bought the wedding TVs, show. we bought the wedding show, we bought extension cords. And we just played one in. film on a loop. Yep. yep. And, and then people were like, oh, you look professional. Yep. And Sold one wedding film for $6,500 because we were like, oh, It was man. photo and video, I think. I think it was too. Yeah. And yeah. it was, um, but it was at the top venue in Newport. Yes. And yes. so. And at this time, there was absolutely no competition. Yes. Zero competition. Like it was like. Still motion were the people that we wanted to emulate. We we're like, let's bring this to New England, and we did it. There was no one doing DSLR filmmaking when we started. Um, so that's an advantage. Be first. Uh, since you can't be first anymore, unless you come out with like some weird technology or <laughs> employ the some weird technology. The first 360 wedding filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Go for it. Um, Don't do that. It's a <laughs> but uh, yeah, our journey is a little bit weird. I think, you know, what is what is a person's first journey if they are have zero experience whatsoever what do you think they should charge should they do a free wedding oh of course okay you should do free weddings until you feel like what you're doing is worth money yeah like, when, when is that point though when you don't screw up anymore okay it's about liability sure like if you were if you think i can do this someone would pay for it and i'm not going to screw up and get sued yeah you should charge money um you know i think it's fine to do free weddings people always poo-poo that well i don't know people do but you know that being said i think the first thing you should be looking at is like what is okay am i average to good mm -hmm. that's a tough question but i think you need to be able to answer it and then what is the average price in my market mm -hmm. and do i want this to be super easy or super hard you know it's like clearly the more expensive you are without a portfolio, without networks, the harder it is to sell weddings, mm -hmm. right? And clearly the more, I would say, average to low-priced you are, the less portfolio and 
brand trust you need to build to justify that cost to the couple. Mm -hmm. Like, I think at the beginning of any market, you're primarily selling services and value. You're not selling brand. Hmm. It's like you're selling like who gets the like the couple at the beginning of the market. And I, and I would say I don't have a problem saying like I think the average wedding we I don't have think we have the real full data, but I believe in like 2021 or something the average sale was like and this is going to blow people's mind. The average wedding I think was $1200. Yeah. That's Maybe or the average less. spend of the couple on wedding filmmaking. Yep, right around that $1200 mark. Yep. And it's like you know, it it makes sense. Like, I think those numbers check out. And so knowing that, like, you look at the market, right, and you're like, okay, well, that's average nationally. What is average in my market? I would think that's a good place to, like, start out. Is like, okay, am I as good as these people? What are they charging? You know, and also, like, do I need an advantage? Like, if this person has, like, 50 reviews on the knot or they're really well established and they have – it doesn't matter if your films are as good as them. Yeah. You don't have portfolio, which means your website's not as good, mm-hmm. which means everything is not as good. And you're not going to, you're going to have a really hard time charging as much as that person, even if your work is as good as them until you can create like, like, would you trust a website that just popped up that had no portfolio on it and had no reviews? Yeah, no, not at all. So if, you, if you're literally like the same cost as somebody who does have those things, like you need to be charging significantly less because you have to know what your saleable points are, right? You have to know what the saleability of your what, are the cust- is. what is the customer expecting to see? Right? Are you exceeding their expectations right. or less, and in what ways? So it's like if you if they're expecting to see a fifteen hundred dollar price point, that to them is like that's what I am. This is what I am most I'm paying. That person's not going to look at your 1500 with zero portfolio and a website that clearly knows that you just shot one test wedding mm-hmm. and then look at this other person with 40 mediocre country club weddings with a $1,800 price point. They're not going to look at them the same. Yeah. They're going to be like, well, this guy's just starting out, blah, 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 blah. Like yep. all those things factor into your pricing. So it's like- You want someone who's willing to take a risk on you with zero portfolio because mm-hmm. you're charging that you have one- good wedding that you've shot no reviews at all and you have to be like i'm charging a thousand dollars my work is better than his but i have less reviews and i'm charging less someone would be like i'll take a risk on that guy Mm -hmm. right like you have to understand how you're beating your competition in your area Mm -hmm. um you know and if someone has more reviews than you if they have a better portfolio than you then clearly you know you're less you know you need to be charging less i would say just if, if someone's looking for a number I would say bare minimum for like eight hours of coverage yep. for a four to six minute highlight film, kind of nine ninety nine would be the least I think you should charge. And in some markets, I've heard of people charging five hundred. Mm-hmm. If that's what you feel like you need to do, I don't care. Yeah, I, I personally think most people could probably, once they're like, know what they're doing and professional. Mm-hmm most everyone can charge $1,500. Yeah. And probably most everyone could get away with charging 2,500. Yeah. Like probably like down, like I think, you know, some markets will start, once you get over like a certain price point in your market, I'm not sure where that is for every market. There is like a point where you move out of one group of people and into the next group of people. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's probably somewhere in that, 
around 3000 where you're kind of like starting to move away from like the person who's expecting to pay 1500 but willing to splurge a little bit on you for 2500 yeah. and into someone who's expecting to pay like 4000 Yeah. Right? And it's like, so customer expectations play a big, big, big part in this. I think if you're starting out, just know average price in nationally is like $1,100, yep. You're probably fine at that price point. Just make sure you, you know, you're not like way above the people in your market that yep. you're competing with. I think that's a good place to start. Yep. And also keep in mind, I mean, I think all filmmakers need to keep in mind right now, like inflation is very real. So these numbers back in like, you know, two, three years ago, they're probably going to be up 15% by the time, you know, you're listening to this in 2023. So like, you know, I think that number is going to go through the roof, even like the wedding report. Like if it was impossible for them to predict what inflation would be two years ago, I think in no time that number is going to be up to average of $1,500. Like it has to be uh, because people are working, even doing wedding films at $1,200, you're pretty much working at like minimum wage. Like, right? You got to be. Let me think. Because you have to account for equipment and all that crap. Like you have to. Yeah, if you if you don't do if you don't do at least thirty or forty, mm-hmm. you're 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 talking about it's small. Now, yeah. I mean, you're you're if you're working at this, if you're working at introductory price points, don't do it for too long. That's all I'll say to someone. Yeah. And so, like, like what I want to talk about next is okay. When should you raise your price? Okay, like how do you go about like looking at your pricing as you're growing, right? Because I think I look at that and go like. I don't have a problem with doing someone doing something that they can do. If they don't quickly surpass the bottom of the barrel pricing in their market, there's a lot of problems going on mm-hmm. with what they're doing. So, you know, I, I always like to say, let's, what are like those check-in moments, those triggering data points where it's like, okay, wh- when should I start looking at pricing? Why don't you, like, what do we do to evaluate our pricing and kind of be checking in on some of that stuff. What are some of the ways we're kind of tracking internally? Yeah, uh, I think there's a few different ways. Um, One is just pick a certain amount of time and check in on those things. I can say what I do myself is like, we have a a form that uh, Catherine, our office admin uh, sends our way. So I can see how many leads I got last week. How many do we close on? So it's like, I'm constantly checking in on like, what those rates look like on a weekly basis, um, and then also on a monthly basis, and then on a yearly basis. I would like, encourage people to do weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual reporting. Yep. I think for some people, those data points are going to be really low, and so you might start out only doing monthly and annual. But I think if you're doing any kind of like regular business, yeah. like, and you're not checking in very regularly, yep. like. You need to do that. The only reason I like to check in on a weekly basis is uh, because I do the sales and I want to know how many did I close on last week. But I would say that's that's a lot of people. Did I perform well? Yeah. Yeah. Most Uh, people are doing the sales for their business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, But you might only have one (laughs) lead Mm -hmm. and one consultation every week. I'm doing 10 to 20 a week at least. At least. Uh, so it's, I just have a bigger number to look at. And, and so if you have one, you know, I don't think you have to do a check-in every single week. It's so crazy. It's like we're doing, 
in one week some of the amount of inquiries that some people are doing in a whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, so. totally. Um, humble brag, Jay. There's that's a, a brag brag. <laughs> that's a brag brag. <laughs> well, it's ultimately like, all I, I do want to establish, like, we got we get to look at a lot of data. Right, right. And we're just trying to show you, like, we look at a lot of data. We run these cycles very regularly, so we have a pretty good insight into how to look at the numbers. Yeah. Um, the other check-in point, I think, is after a certain amount of bookings. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't necessarily do that. We've talked about doing that, potentially, um, in terms of a strategy for when we should be raising prices for some of our brands. Um, but I think that's pretty effective, especially when you're first starting out. Like, maybe, and, and it might not be effective because you might only close five weddings in your first year. So maybe you aren't like, hey, every five weddings, I'm going to raise my prices. You might want to raise your prices more or less, depending on what your strategy is. But a lot of people will say, hey, I'm going to raise prices by 5% every five bookings or 10% every, you know, uh, five bookings. I think that's a pretty good strategy. Uh, you can't post your prices to your website if you do that. I mean, you can. You just have to constantly be changing and Changing your stuff. website, which is something I, I don't want to do. But, <laughs> uh, you know, if it's part of your strategy, again, you know, feel free. Um, I think, uh, you know, you have to do it anyways on PDFs you send out to people. Like, I, I think the downside of that is that, you know, if you are getting into like working with planners potentially, um, which, you know, if you're just starting out, you're probably not working with a lot of planners. Your planner reaches out, asks you for a pricing list. You send her a pricing list for January. That might be totally different in June. So she's quoting all of her companies. Well, and she's also going to just send you, yeah, she's going to send that old one to everyone all season. Yeah, all season and potentially for multiple seasons. So I, whenever you change, you know, potentially sending it to your planners potentially uh, to just give them an idea of what you're you're uh, doing. You're just and adding more kind of work, which might be fine. It's but. more work, but honestly, if you're shooting 20 weddings in a year, I mean, I think you have probably time to, to do that. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that's another um, point that I, or, or a check-in point that I would say is I've seen work for a lot of people. And um, I would also say you should, I think you should be looking, by the way, to me, I'm not saying these are when you should raise your price. These are when you should look at raising your prices. And I would say you should look, not raising too, because it, it shouldn't only be upward. Okay, interesting. It should be the whatever direction is required. Right. So this is the thing like people don't realize is like, they're like, oh yeah, well, it's always about raising your prices. It's like, no, it's about selling weddings. Mm. <laughs> it's like It's about like making a living selling weddings. And so, like, you should be looking at your prices to learn how the people price perception Right. every few weddings you book. That'll tell you, like, if you're booking them easy and, and you're booking them quick, the distance between those bookings, the amount of inquiries that came in, like, the pers- your close rate, all that stuff, mm-hmm. that should factor in. Like, if you book five weddings but you did 58 calls, I don't think you should be raising your prices. That's why I always say close rate. Mm. Because it's like, I don't care if you book five weddings if it took you 50 weddings to book there. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were $20,000, 10% close rate is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if it's $2,000, I don't think a 10% close rate is amazing. When do you calculate close rate? How do you do that? Because I, I honestly, I don't think most wedding filmmakers even know what their close rate is. 
Well, you should need to keep track of total. First of all, first you have to qualify what is an inquiry. Mm-hmm. Is it someone who just says, what are your prices on Instagram? Or like we quantify our inquiries as reached out on our website. Mm-hmm. If you reach out on our website, check. You're a lead. Yep. Right? Out of those people who reach out, how many of them booked? Yep. Um, that's it. You know? And th- those are the numbers that we look at probably monthly yeah. and annually. And weekly. To some extent. To some extent. Like it's a little, it's it's more of a zoomed in view weekly. Yeah. But in general, we're saying like how many. Sometimes it could be five out of five. Sometimes it could be, you know, one out of 10. You never know. Yeah. But I would say like. So it's not really, to me, the weekly one for that, the close rate isn't as important. I think a monthly one gives us a much more consistent. I would think set. like every 10, depending on your total volume. Yeah. I would say like, I would want to look at like. 10% of the total amount of weddings I want to book. Mm-hmm. And like at least kind of, it might be maybe more at lower numbers, maybe like 20%. So say you do like four inquiries, five, in, if you did like five inquiries and none of them booked, mm-hmm. like I think maybe every five inquiries you want to be evaluating. Yeah. Like, because that, that, that would be like a 20% close rate, which I think 20% close rate is pretty okay for someone who it's a little high for high end high price, but if you're starting out 15 to 20% close rate means is a, is a pretty solid number to shoot for. Mm -hmm. It means that you've priced yourself in a way that allows you to close easily. Yep. Right. If you're, if you're getting a 10% close rate and you're charged and you're bottom of the barrel pricing, there's something wrong with your brand or your product Mm. or you're bad on in sales. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if you're getting 10% and you're charging an average of $9,000 a film, you you have great films. So you're going to attract people who can't afford you naturally. Right. They're going to be like, oh, that's amazing. I want this. I can't afford it. Right. And I, the thing I like about close rate is I think it's an actual good barometer for how your sales process is going. How many people do we get on the Wedding Film School Facebook group that are like, I'm getting ghosted a lot lately. You know, and, and it's just like, what does that mean? Like, does it mean the last three people ghosted them? Who cares? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, th- those those people could just randomly line up, and it really doesn't tell you any information You need, at all like, a pretty anything. solid sample size there. So what what the actual percentage says is, hey, over the last month, you know, we've closed at 15%. We're doing pretty well. Because you might get booked three times in a row and not calculate that into your you know, um, thought about how many uh, thoughts about how many people are booking that month. So it could be totally subjective. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I like that number because it, it actually tells people. So I would say if, if you d- aren't keeping track of your close rate, it's definitely something you should start doing. Um, because it, it tells you about the health of your business and where, what kind of decisions you should be making. Yeah. Basically you do it by you track how many leads you get, yep. you track how many leads you book. You do have to decide what a qualified lead is. So you can't just say like, well, this person reached out on Facebook. This one texted me. This lady asked me. Like you could do sales. I wouldn't do sales calls. That's what I would tell you. Don't do sales calls. What do you mean by that? Don't make sales calls the only way you qualify a lead. Sure. Like you need to have some way of like putting We do all three, by the way. We do people that reached out on our website, uh, consultations, and close rate. Well, we we say – a lead is anyone who we create a project for. Yes. 
And for the most part, unless there's a planner involved, it's someone who filled out our form. Yeah. Right. And so we, we don't do like, there are random people who like would say, are you available on this date on Instagram? Yeah. We don't be like, oh, we got five leads. Mm-hmm. We say, hi, thank you so much for reaching out. Can you go to our website and fill out our form? Yeah. Right. We have a very consistent process there so that we know the data integrity on the front end of the funnel is like very sturdy and reliable. Yeah. So you need to do that. But then it's pretty much just how many did I book? Yeah. That means if you have it at the beginning, it means like something about you on the phone. Maybe you didn't tell them your pricing. You got on the phone. You gave them the price. Yep. They don't like it. Yep. Right. They're, they don't want to book. Like, you know, it's not the work, though, mm-hmm. because they reached out. So it's like you want to eliminate, like you want the variables in that part of your process to be purely, what am I offering? How did I sell it? What are my prices? Yep. You don't want to offer them to be like, you know, I don't know. Did they like my logo Mm -hmm. or are my films good? It's like, that's all about lead generation. Mm -hmm. If you're not generating leads, it probably says something about your branding or your product. Yep. If you're getting leads but not closing leads, it says something about your pricing or your or your packages. Yep. So let, let's kind of move into middle tier, you know, wedding filmmaker, someone who's been in the industry. You're not before. getting started anymore. You're kind of like you're getting consistent weddings and you know, you feel like you're a better than a person getting started. You're yep. ready to kind of move into that part. You're charging real money and you know you're good. You know you're good enough to be charging people, um, maybe not what you feel you're worth, but uh, what you should be charging. You're getting some serious demand. How far in do you right. feel like someone should try to like be worried if they're not at this point? How long into their three years? Yeah, I would think by year three, definitely you should be like, this is where I am. I should be here. Yes, yes. And if not by the end, of, at least by the end of year. Because year one, you're worried about everything. You're literally putting everything together you're building your frankenstein you're like marketing what is my style like what not even deeply into these things but you're just like literally putting an llc together like you're putting your business together and you're getting out there you're getting in front of people potentially um leads might trickle you might have a trickle of just like hey i'm doing this you did the facebook post you're on instagram you have your instagram page you have your everything um they're trickling in but maybe you haven't really done a whole lot of work. Maybe you have one piece of portfolio work. Um, and then year one, maybe you're getting like four to five. That would be a great year for year one, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're charging what you should be charging, like that minimum of 500 to you know $1,000 potentially. I think if you make more than $10,000 in your first year, you're probably killing it. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a low bar, but it's not a low bar. It's hard to make money doing anything. And, and just because of what we're doing is so seasonal. Like it's like a lot of businesses can start and be like, okay, we're getting traction in the first month. Okay, second month, third month. With us, it's all planned out a year ahead of time. And for you, you need new material to be able to sell your second year. Like if you only have one piece of work, you're going to wait for a full year before you can even shoot your second piece of work or third piece of work. Then you put that up. And then it's like, okay, now this guy looks legitimate because he has at least five films on his website. And so you might get 12, you know, 15, maybe 20 the next year. Like that would be a huge jump. So year two, I think you should probably look to do 10 to 15 films in year two, maybe 20. But that by that year going into year three, if you've done 
15 wedding films, you're probably pretty good. You know, yeah, you're probably you, pretty you, set. You, you should have like, if you got like 25, 30 weddings under your belt, yeah, you should kind of have a sense of how good you are. Yeah. You should have a few connections. It, you should have a decent portfolio. You should be able to focus on your branding a little bit. Yeah. Focus on your, like you should be like, okay, I know how to make films now. Now I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, and I think it, this right here is a huge kind of hinge point in a wedding filmmaker's career of like, am I going to do this or not? Like what, what's the percentage of how many businesses fail? I'm not totally certain about year three. I feel like it's 85% churn rate after year one with wedding filmmaking. Okay. So people are in the industry for a year. 85% of people who start doing it quit. They do four weddings and they're like, oh, I'm not doing what, you know, anyone knows, else is doing. Who knows like what, how they qualify started. Right. Like you, you know. Did they but start it, an LLC or whatever? I don't know if it's full time. I don't know what it is. But regardless, I know that you're not likely to make it out of the first year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And if you do, bravo. Like Be- Because if you're only doing five wedding films, I think most people would be like, it's a failure. What's the point of this? What's the point? I made 10000 like you said, $10,000. And you're like, I'm not going to be able to live off of this. It took me 60 hours per wedding film because they suck at editing so bad. And I don't know how to shoot. And it cost me $6,000 in equipment. I and can't like, think of a single filmmaker. Kind of a dumb business we run. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single filmmaker that has gone from year one to year two shooting 30 wedding f- films I know a single year. I just interviewed them. Who? Max Smith. Year two, he shot th- 30 weddings. First year. First year, he shot 30. Yeah, people do it. How? Great. So what he did, he spent probably, I think, 400 a month on ads. Okay. Great filmmaker. Great filmmaker, ads. Mm-hmm. And then he was, he, you know. I would say your first year, I mean, if you want to do that, great. He but was you better good. know. No, no. And let me clarify one thing. Yeah. Before that, he went, like, he'd done a couple weddings in the past, like, just to try it. And, and he was, or maybe someone had asked him. And he also had worked in the filmmaking space for churches. Yep. So he was, like, experienced at event coverage experienced at he had done a little bit of weddings his first year like i'm gonna do a business right they did like 30 weddings and they were charging like 1500 two thousand dollars and they probably spent 10 percent of the revenue on ads and i mean that to me is a great plan if you can do that and you're a good i think a lot of people aren't good enough yeah like their films if they put four thousand dollars or whatever i don't know what they spent maybe two thousand but they they put good money into facebook ads their films won't carry the ads because they suck too bad yeah they're not good enough at the to do that and they need that learning period to actually build up the confidence and yeah. create the portfolio that's worthy yeah to be spending money on it so i haven't listened to that podcast yet because that was just you and max um but if you're interested in listening to that full podcast that's actually we'll, we'll link the number one, one reason i wanted to have him on jared is because i think he has a one of the best journeys for I started, I didn't overprice myself. I invested in ads. I made good quality content. And my by year three, I was like going full steam and charging four to $5,000 a film. Great. Great journey. Yep. You should check it out. So uh, let's finally dive into this middle tier. Um, uh, country club weddings, the people that are, are you know getting started, who feel good about what their business is doing. So there's really a couple things that I think you need to do to you know, gauge yourself in the industry of when you should be raising prices. We talked about when you should, you know, evaluate. Um, what are some things that people should should use as like indicators of like, okay, now I can actually start raising prices. 
I think some of it is just use your brain, right? Look at the people who you're shooting and the people that are at the weddings you're shooting and look at where you're shooting the weddings. Sure. Right? It's like if you're shooting backyard weddings consistently, you know, you should try to raise prices, but you need to fix your marketing. You need to find a way to get in front of people. But but if you're – it doesn't mean you shouldn't raise prices. It just means, like, it's not a go, go, go. Mm-hmm. If you're consistently shooting, like, with – wedding photographers who are charging you know four times more than you at really nice venues with inc- with wealthy people and you're still charging bottom of the barrel pricing um you should not be doing that like how do you know what the photographer's charging you're doing research look it up. you're asking her on site maybe i would say become friends with people and they'll tell you stuff yeah <laughs> it's like like how do you think i know what i know I know. Yeah, it's like be friendly and be kind and treat people with respect yep. and like, you know, you you should want to find this stuff. So that'd be the first thing. I'd say sure. like if you're consistently working high end events, you could charge more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them I think is close rate. Right. Talked about that. <laughs> we did. So it's like some of it is you just can't charge what your early prices are at the beginning. So you, you know, if you're starting out, you need to be charging more. So, and, and time is a good way to look at it. Like we talked about some of the other ones. But in if general, you're starting out, you need to be charging more. No, no, no. I said you can't be charging what you're starting out forever. Okay. Yeah. So, so like some of it is just after a certain period of time, you just raise your prices because if you can't charge more, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no. I, I can't imagine wanting to do this amount of work for ten thousand dollars. Yeah, doing fifty weddings at one thousand dollars. Even ten weddings at ten thousand dollars. I mean, I don't know that that would be that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I think it probably. So whatever. That some of it's just a natural part of the industry. I think, am I priced right? Is really kind of the question that people should be asking themselves. And am I priced too much, or should I raise my prices? Those I think are actually the questions people are asking themselves. And I think, like we had mentioned, close rate. Are you closing too high? If you're closing too high, your prices are too high. If you're in that mid part of the market, this is when I think you're going to start to see, you know, maybe I've surpassed my current demographic mm-hmm. is when people are just calling you and they're like, oh, I love your films. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And like everyone's closing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shoot, this is too good of a deal. Yeah. Right. You 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 need like some people to be like, oh, no, too rich for my blood. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good thing, you know, but not too many. And I think that's the other thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like really a very fine balance. And I think this is like the actual, like this part of the market is the hardest market to get out of. Hmm. Like actually I've heard some people say six country club weddings to high end weddings. Yes. Okay. Like to elevate out of, because what, what can happen to you in this part of the market and there's nothing wrong with this. You might be – it's a good part of the market. You might be fine doing this because the weddings tend to be kind of on the easier side. And they're fine and they look good and there's a lot of clients. So – but what happens to people is like say you find a venue that you love working at. You work this venue every weekend or 10 times a year out of your 30, you're working one country club. Mm-hmm. Like that no – planners work at because they have an on-site coordinator and that person is being replaced every two years. Mm-hmm. Like two things can ha- like you're, there's a lot of risk in this part of the market of like either like the new person comes and like, who's that guy? Yeah. We've had that happen to us. Yeah. 
new person takes over the venue, no longer they refer you. Yep. Like, but also no one who works at that venue is like a high-end planner. Like, because they don't need one. They have this random person that they hire. Off LinkedIn. To come yeah. in and book the event. And it's like, so you're not forming industry connections mm-hmm. very effectively. If you don't work to get out and form those relationships, you might work with no high-end photographers, no high-end planners. You're just working these country club weddings over and over again. Some markets, this is all there is. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not trying to be insulting of these these types of weddings. Mm-hmm. Just know if you're like doing these weddings and you're frustrated every time you raise your prices, no, it's not going well for you. Know that you're probably you have to level up your networking. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, you and I really take for granted the the um, region that we shoot weddings in. We're in New England. So we ha- literally have three to four, I would say, high-end to luxury markets. Well, I would say high-end. High-end markets that are within they are, an hour. They do have luxury weddings, but they are high-end. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of you as know, a baseline. We have the we have Newport, we have the Cape, we have Boston, and then we have like Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, you know, space. Also Connecticut, you know, th- those are all high. There's high end. I forget venues. Connecticut exists. Yeah, well, we don't really even. I mean, we hardly secret, there. we hardly even try for Connecticut because uh, we don't want to deal with the drivers. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I just all the money's in the southern part, and it's such a pain to get to. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 down there. Um, you know, all different types of places, but I would say we all we there's high end venues there that are not country clubs. It's like they are specific for weddings. Yes. Um, you know, and and you know, people are just charging tens of thousands of dollars, or paying tens of thousands of dollars to just be on site before food uh, for these places. So we have it made. There are a lot of places that don't have these places that are just, you know, everyone gets married at the country club oh, or I'll hear at the pl- church and fellowship hall. $5,000 you know? venues. And I'm like, $5,000 for a venue? That's crazy yeah, low. Yeah, dude. Yep. Like, but it's like in some markets, that's the nice venue. Yep. yep. And and so I'm not insulting that stuff at all. I'm saying you got to know that. Yep. You got to know like what are the um, – these are not simply – unless you want to get into national couples, elopement, traveling – that kind of thing, which I don't recommend. I'm not going to educate you how to do, mm-hmm. right? I don't know how to do it. Yep. If you want to shoot, you have to shoot the weddings that are there and then try to find a way to get weddings you don't have. And they're not necessarily – like you can't just conjure these things out of thin air mm-hmm. imagining these weddings are out there. So your pricing has to be based on the demand of the market. So, you know – I think some of it is going to be just based on the venues in your area. Yeah, And sure. that's probably where, like, the middle is, right? It's, like, one of them is customer-based pricing. Like, it's, like, you're on the knot. You're competing. Whatever the average person expects to pay, you're fighting around price. Yeah. Here, you're probably fighting around a little bit more connections. Mm-hmm. It's, like you're, in, like, you're actually in the industry. Yeah. Like, you're in the wedding industry. And so you are – you should be getting a mix of – at least venue and couple referrals and hopefully photographer. Yep. Right. That's kind of how to know like where you are in the market a little bit. Yep. And it's, yeah. So just understanding what the market expectation is mm-hmm. generally, if so, just if you're like, Hey, how much does a videographer cost in Arkansas? Someone's like, Oh, I'll probably expect to pay this amount. You know, roughly you talk to five people, you average that 
number out. That that's what people are looking to pay. Yeah, for versus beyond. like you you're like in this part of the market, they might have a pl- event planner at the country club, and they're gonna say, "This guy's amazing, hire him." You know, they're around this price, yep. and they're like pre-selling you. Yep. Yep. You know, versus like a couple's just like clicking based on dollar sign filter on the knob. Not anywhere. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the next one is, you know, we <coughs> kind of touch on it a little bit is just what is supply and demand? You know, right. how many, and, and so this is where it can vary per filmmaker is like, are you full-time or part-time? That's going to inform just how many weddings you can supply, right? Or how many weddings you want to. This is probably the number one determiner on price that I would think supply and demand. Yeah. It's yeah. like, like you were saying, how many weddings do you want to do? Or how many weddings do you need to do to yeah. live? Right? That, 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 if you're like some part-time guy, you're probably only doing eight to 10. If you have a full-time job, you're probably only doing that many because you can't really do a lot of editing. If your goal is like, I want to do, I want to make 50K yeah. with wedding filmmaking or 60K or 100K, like yeah. who knows, right? I sell them on average $4,000, which that's kind of nuts, right? See, you would start, base, you think people are basing their stuff on how much money they want to make. They should be. They're not. I think a they're, lot of people are basing it on how many can I actually do? How much work can I actually do? Both are fine, but I, I typically... Because, because the person who has a part-time job who does wedding filmmaking part-time, they're like literally like, I am maxed out on time. A lot of pe- part-time people I know are like family people and whatever. Uh, and Everyone then successful the newbie, I know bases it on how much they want to make. Sure, sure. The newbie is going to look at it and be like, how many can I actually do? I have no idea how yeah. many I can actually totally, do. Totally, totally. But so I'm they saying pick like some random number. Supply and, and demand is based on like your supply is based on how many weddings it takes you to make a living. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, not necessarily if you're part-time because you're just making it Or whatever the, the goal is. Yeah. Maybe the goal is put $20,000 a year into retirement. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever the goal is. But whatever that goal is, right? Um, your sup- by the way, I would say part-time people should be basing their metrics on full-time goals. Even if you are not trying to do 25 weddings, you should try to build a machine that can generate enough leads to do 25 weddings. Okay. That's why I don't care about part-time because I, I'm like, fine, be part-time, do whatever you want, say no to people. That's fine. But like, like, just say no to them, but keep like then raise your prices even higher. Then like create let like. Well, that that's the second part of this is what is your demand? You know, can you like if you want to do ten weddings, are you generating enough leads to be able to do ten weddings consistently? And if you are, mm-hmm. if you have that demand, you should probably be raising prices. If you're a filmmaker that <laughs> wants to go full time and you're doing thirty weddings, <laughs> and you're you know charging exactly what you need to be charging consistently, and you're maxing out then you could probably raise prices, right? Like supply and demand are the, the amount thing of people who raise informs. their prices before they have any demand is absolutely insane, dude. It's insane. Like when I'm talking to people, I do consults and I will have people say, oh, how many leads did you get last year? Which they rarely know. Which you got to know this stuff, guys. You got to. Like, please just actually get a freaking spreadsheet. It's not that complicated. Like, but, you know, ideally even get HoneyBook. Get some kind of CRM. But they, you know, they can usually dig it up, right? They dig it up, and then they're like, "I'm like, okay, how many leads? Oh, I got sixty leads." Which is, if you're listening to this, sixty leads for a whole year, not great, not the worst, but I wouldn't necessarily think like, "Wow," like unless this person's like stinking 
oh, I got 60 leads, but 30 of them were million-dollar wedding planners, mm-hmm. Like, which is not you. Unless this person is doing that kind of wedding and that tier of wedding, which if they were, they get a lot more leads, by the way, because their freaking weddings would be gorgeous and people would be demanding them mm-hmm. and then they'd be saying no. So like they're close. I think it all depends what your close rate is again. Like, again, that's, that's why it's so 3% important. close rate. If you're charging $25,000 a wedding film and you're doing 10, yeah. it's fine. And you're going to have a low close rate because your prices are going to be high and the weddings are going to be spectacular. Yeah. So they're going to generate leads. Yep. Right. Most people though, I'm like, you got 50 leads. And then I'm like, how many did you sell? Oh, I sold five. Mm-hmm. You sold five lead, five weddings out of fifty leads, and you raised your prices. Yeah, ten percent close rate. Because the thinking is this: Oh, my prices were too low. I'm not getting the couple I want. People are seeing my prices and thinking I'm cheap. What? That's <laughs> not really how it works. In this, like, yes, that it applies when you're working with a wedding planner. But most people that are doing that are not working with wedding planners. They're working like you're telling me. If I went to Nordstrom, right? I walk in and I go, hey, I really like this cologne. It's a brand name. It's nice. And I smell it. I'm like, huh, it's $40 and it's usually $80. You're telling me I'm not going to buy it because it's not $80? No, I'm going to buy it because I like it. I look at it and I like the product. I smell it. It's good. And I know it's probably worth $80. But I'm going to pay $40. I'm not going to buy it. Expertise is what actually qualifies luxury purchasers. Yeah. Like the fact that you – I don't give a crap about watches. Yeah. Even though I I know that they're worth X dollars. But like I don't care. There's nothing you can convince me that would ever get me to spend more than $2,000 on a watch. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, man. So Don't get me started on watches. But for someone who cares about watches – it doesn't like that's not the point. That person's like, well, anything less than X dollars is crap. They immediately discount anything below a certain thing because they know what it takes to make a watch. And that's what you're dealing with with like luxury planners. They're sure. like, I don't want to work with anyone who's charging $10,000 because that means they've never charged $10,000, which means they don't understand the type of events I do mm-hmm. and don't want to work with people like that. Totally. So it's like they're not looking at the price and going, like, like your website has is mediocre, your product is mediocre, and then they're like, $10,000, right. okay, I'm gonna hire them. They're not doing that. No, so, not when you're in this tier. Like no. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and it's, it's a lot of brides and grooms I get on the phone with. Um, they go, yeah, I hired that, because I always ask, who's your photographer? I can't tell you how many people go, well, we got this photographer, she's fairly new to the industry, but she's pretty cheap and we absolutely love her work. I think we got her right before she's about to blow up. I can't tell you <laughs> how many people, because I know plenty of photographers who were that way. I'm like, my photographer my for my wedding, I booked her because I knew she was great. My wife really liked her work. Do you remember Tiffany Vaughn? I knew Vaughn? she was super cheap. Tiffany Vaughn, we, Tiffany tried Vaughn. To get her, we tried to get her to join the team because I was like, she's good. We yes. should get her before she knows it. And, and as much <laughs> and now as- she is. She's as, amazing. As much as I trash on couples who actually- probably don't know the difference between good and bad work. There are plenty of people out there who do, who, who just are like, yeah, this person's undervalued because I'm looking at someone else's work side by side. And I say, they're essentially the same. This person is $3,000 cheaper. Even if you get a less product, a, a lesser product with the cheaper person, that's like 10% less. You're still like, I, ch- I would, 
paid three thousand dollars less for ten percent less. Or product, this person's giving great. me nothing for the same price. Like they give me like one thing, and this yeah. other person's giving me yeah all the stuff my mom wants. Exactly. So right? just what we're saying is just create the demand. If you just raise your prices, just raising your prices doesn't create the demand. Even in the luxury market, it doesn't create the demand. There, there is a certain aspect of, you know, if you aren't charging a certain amount, a planner is not going to hire you. But a planner is not going to hire you because they go, oh, this person's charging $10,000. It's it's based on your work. It's based on relationship with planners. And then they'll say, you need to raise your prices to meet this. Planners are going to hire you because you're good and you work a lot yeah. and you're professional and they trust you. They're going to hire it. you for that. They're, and they're going to recommend your pricing at, because of that. Yeah. <clears throat> they're not... And so like no planner looks at pricing and goes, they charge $10,000. Therefore they're worth it. They're going to say, is their work good? And do I like them and do I trust them? Yeah. That and do other people like them? Yeah. And so planners rarely work with videographers, filmmakers that they haven't worked with before. Pretty so much. it's like, you know, it's a catch 2022. Like how do you get in front of the planner? Like that's kind of that's what why you're you always, with. that's why I don't like the only get planners business plan because mm. it's like I want new planners from time to time. Yeah. And so sometimes a, a high-end couple will be really involved. They'll be like, I want this guy. Yeah. And they will force the planner's hand. Yep. So I want to go on those those job interviews with those wedding planners. Yep. So anyway, I would think at this price point, you should be looking at your pricing and really be looking and saying, is my films and pricing generating enough leads to stay in my business? If it is generating enough leads – um, what is my close rate? If you are closing at too high of a rate, raise your prices. Yep. If you're closing at too low of a rate, you might actually need to lower your prices to get your business going or fix your branding, fix your sales. I'm not sure totally there, yep. but that's not off the table to lower your prices. Yeah. Right. Because, um, you might also just need to say, how do I get out of this part of the market? I need to yeah. find better people that I can sell this, not better people, but yeah. people who are well, willing to pay what I want to charge. So let, let's talk about that kind of plateau, right? Because we're still talking about that middle market. Is this, this called what you should be pricing or how you should be pricing? Well, how much should you be charging? How much should you be charging? So I don't know. How much should they be charging? I would say you should be charging above average at this price point. You should be somewhere like I think up to du like at least double the average sale price mm -hmm. at this part of the market. Yeah. Well, so so we kind of just transitioned. And I would say this middle tier, it's kind of a ramp from like country club weddings into high-end weddings at like a wedding venue, probably a little less country club. It's more wedding venue, not yet working with planners. Like that's kind of that. You're in, you're in the industry, but you're not in that part of the industry. Right. So, you know, if you're charging quite a bit more than average, um, there's eventually a point that you do hit where you're going to start charging a lot more and your close rate is probably going to start waning and plateauing a little bit. And that's when you know you're probably getting to that luxury market, right? High end. High end? I would say yeah, I would say I would say high end. Yeah, you're right. Because when you get to the high end market, that's your wedding planners and you need the wedding planner. Like you're not going to convince somebody like just, you know, B to C, that they're gonna be willing to that they should unless you're like doing crazy elopement wedding, weddings so. and that person's like there's not that many people wanting that product no. 
But the, there's not a lot of people that are going to want to charge, uh, pay ten thousand dollars for a wedding film on their own. Yeah, pretty much. That that that's or, or I don't want to compete. I don't want to have to compete for that. I mean, you you might say like I yeah. really want it, but it's not for me. It, it's going to be your seven thousand to ten thousand dollar wedding film. Yeah. You if you start if you start charging that, you're probably going to want a wedding planner to advocate for you. Like, yeah, because they tell them here's your budget. Right. That's how it actually works. If you don't work with planners. Planners go to them and say, I'm working with this couple. Their budgets are blah. Here's the budget for filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Can you do something? Yep. And traditionally, it's been, you know, 5 to 10% of the overall budget I, for wedding filmmakers. I think the average was, no, I think it's 5 to 7%. 5 to 7%. 7 to 10% for photographers. 7 to 10%. Right. And, you know, as we found out recently from one of our wedding planner friends she said on the podcast she's kind of changing her thought on that from being you know five to seven percent seven to ten percent saying twenty percent of your overall budget should be photo and video image service services yeah so that's good news for us because we're going from you know second class citizen to you know equal citizen depending on the couple a couple might and the planner and by the way this planner over photo or photo over video so it might depend our planners we consistently work with to display our value and show them that we're good partners so that they are like having them at this wedding helps me a lot. I don't mind trying to get them a bigger piece of the pie. I can't speak right. for all wedding planners out there, all markets, but that's one of the things we've tried to do with our partners. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 So that, that's kind of, um, you know, the high end market going into the luxury market, I would say. Yeah. So how to, how much to charge is like, Looking at the total budgets of your weddings, right, and trying to figure out what is five to seven percent of that total budget. That's a pretty. I think that actually works across the whole market. By the way, mm -hmm. it's easier to find out with the planner side mm -hmm. because you know you have more insight into all the things they're doing. Yeah. But I think five to seven percent of the total budget for wedding filmmaking is a pretty safe bet. How would you recommend? A high-end to luxury wedding filmmaker razor prices. What should they be looking for there? You talking out of no man's Go land? Go from ten thousand dollars to twenty. Ten k plus. Uh, I mean, at that point, you're just charging. Um, first of all, I'd ask planner straight up. Well, shouldn't you just be like, I need to go from a certain wedding planner upgrade to a higher-end wedding filmmaker or higher-end wedding planner? Yeah, the, the only way to do it. Yeah, if you're saying, how do we make that jump? Yeah. The only way to do it is to get connected with better planners. Because Not better planners, but more planners with larger budgets. Yeah. And, and you are reducing so many. There's so many. It, this is not a straight move. This can actually be a lateral move. Mm -hmm. Right? <clears throat> like, so you got to do destination. You have to, pretty much. You have to be willing to shoot multi-day weddings all the time. You have to be willing to do all kinds of perks for the planners. And it might not be like money off or whatever, but it's going to be like, can you make a BTS of me at the wedding? Yep. Can you do this? And like, sure. Like you want those weddings. You got to do them. You got to work very high stress events. Couples that are not going to do anything you say, like everything about the, wedding, like the stakes become really, really high. And you have to be able to endure that stress and decide if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then that's before the question of, can you? Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, 
how do you even get to know these people? There's very few ways to start these relationships. Right. You know, it's, it, it's, it, this is where I don't think it's a target people should have except for in their like well, goals. I don't think you can really, I think I would disagree. I think there are certain things that you can do to elevate and, and get in front of high end wedding planners. One is going to be, you have to get published. This is where actually being published matters. They used to pretend like these wedding blogs used to be like, Oh, you should get published on, Gray likes weddings or, <laughs> Gray likes or, weddings. <laughs> or, 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 or green wedding shoes. Oh, that yeah. stuff does not matter at all. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. Even like Love Stories TV, like you get published there. It will do um, pretty much close to nothing for your business, I would say, at all outside of make yourself feel good. Um, so I would say that doesn't matter. Where it does matter is these super luxury events. If you get posted on Harper's Bazaar, like you're not that gonna get is hard to post on Harper's Bazaar unless you're working with the planner already, though. Not necessarily. Like what? I mean, Peyton Frank. Peyton Frank worked with uh, someone great, though. Right. But like that is what generated more of her. Like she was able to break off of working with KT Mary to working with other planners because she got on Harper's Bazaar. And and so it all works together. Of course, you have to find ways to elevate. And get I'm to just a saying, point. like, you can't strategize that. You have to get lucky, like to strata to get. Po- There's a reason why ten people have been on Harper's Bazaar, and let's be honest, some of those people aren't even good. Like you're just on there because you've been in the industry a long time and know a lot of people, right? And so it's like, but this is that yeah. world. It's you can it's, you can hi- you can try to get published, getting a PR company. Like this is the world. This is the world you're living spend in. Spend twenty thousand dollars a year going to engage. Going to engage. It's like a, it's a lot of things, but these are actual things. You can do those things. They're real but things. They, they're just. And, and again, you're just trying to take more chances, swing and miss. It's the same concept. You're trying to get in front of more eyeballs to get more of a, a chance to hit a home run. All I'm saying is, yes, you can strategize it. I think it's the risk. Like people are like, oh, I'm making so much money. The risk to reward ratio trying to go luxury is psycho high or like versus like that high end market. I think everyone should be going for the high end market. Everyone should be trying to work with the top planners and the top venues in their area. And if you're any good, you can do it. And you could do like, you could probably make a similar amount of money as a luxury wedding filmmaker for like a few more weddings. But if you really look at it, days on set, yeah, it's probably the exact same days on set. I, I would agree with you. I think a lot of like, like if you're charging five thousand dollars event and you don't have to do three day weddings all the time, let's go. Oh, I charge fifteen thousand dollars for this wedding. Sure, you were freaking traveled for five days yeah so you actually made twenty five hundred dollars a day I, I think the high-end market is a forgotten market and it often gets confused with the luxury market mm-hmm. if you're a country club you know wedding filmmaker you're always doing these events you're like well one day i'll get my break and i'll just randomly get this wedding at uh what's that what's that place down in uh, uh florida in uh uh mar-a-lago <laughs> not, not mar-a-lago uh I forget the, uh, breakers, the, the breakers, the breakers, you shoot the breakers. Like one day I'll just randomly, get, that's not how it's going to happen. You have to do high end weddings for a period of time to maybe, to me, the best thing to do is get that is, opportunity, but you probably won't like work, the plan should be to work in the high end market. And then maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe you'll get your break and you'll be able to bump up into that. You might work with a wedding planner who becomes a luxury wedding planner. Maybe that's great. There is a lot of luck involved, but like we said, the more chances you get, 
the more opportunity you're going to get to hit a home run. Hey, I, go for any – follow your dreams or whatever, but just know, like, there's a reason why it's less than 1% of the market that's asking for this product yep. and serving this product. Sure. And it's like, fine, bet on yourself. Yeah. I, I just think it's important to talk about when we're talking about how to price yourself. That is how those people price themselves, and that's how they work their way up into that category. And, yeah, it is like – 10 to 20 people that are working these kind of weddings. Um, and that pricing is just totally out, like it's out hard. It's crazy. Like it, it's a bad goal to be like, I am going to do this because at that point there is much more luck than even starting off. And some people can never do it. Yes. There, you are not good enough. You're not good enough at sales. There's something about, and I, I feel bad saying this, but it's a freaking truth. And just listen, if you, can't do it it doesn't mean you're a failure it just means you're just like a normal person and like you're like you're like literally 99% of other people so it's not it's not personal it's and just like frankly most people that can shoot high end weddings probably make as much sometimes even more than the people shooting ultra luxury weddings well right? i've seen that firsthand now i know the obviously the highest earners are people shooting top 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 events i also know how hard they have to work and like it's not for everyone i'm telling you it's not for everyone like the situations they're in are i would highly 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 recommend like check yourself before you make a decision to pursue these events i have heard the most insane stories (laughs) i have out of these weddings more than I even out of like the weddings we shoot, these people are delightful. The situations are wonderful. Like our worst case scenarios, like that bride was kind of crazy. Ha ha ha. Bare like by that we mean she had crazy eyes. Mommy drank a lot, didn't yeah, she? Yeah. <laughs> we don't mean like literally like I saw someone get fired in front of me or yeah. like just cr- people get sued or all these crazy situations that happen. Like I'm telling you, man, the high end is the sweet spot that no one appreciates because your ego gets involved, right? And you're like, I'm only charging $7,000 for 30 weddings. I could be making so... And like you start to like hijack your own business at that point. You just make yourself dissatisfied with what you have, even right. though what you have is in the top 3% earners in the entire world at your profession. Yeah. It's like, don't do that to yourself. Like, you gotta like... That's pretty sweet. You're in a pretty good place. Like if you can, if you're working with top end venues and in, in top end planners in your area and you're a top three wedding filmmaker in your area, there's a book I'll recommend to everyone called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about the idea that everyone wants to be the big fish in the big pond. But he's like the most important, the easiest way to succeed is to be the biggest fish in a small pond. And that's how he like he recommends people like he talks about people going to Harvard who try to succeed at Harvard and flame out because there are so many good people at Harvard. Harvard, go to L.A. Like, yes, all this stuff. Wherever there's do. tons of talent. Yeah. Yeah. But he says the actual number one way to determine earning for a scientist is getting published. And an average of only like three papers from Harvard get published, but one paper from every other school gets published just go to that school and get published right and it'll be successful right and it's like so many people like they they just become like they think about pricing and i'm always like 
charging more per film is not always the thing to look at. It's really like how much do I make per day at work? Mm-hmm. That's the like thing. If you're making charging twenty thousand dollars to shoot a four day event versus seven thousand dollars to do a one day event that's an hour from your house, who's making more money? Right. That other person might do ten events, make two hundred k. You might be thirty events, make two hundred and ten k, and you're working twenty less days than they are. Yep, yep. Able to spend, you know that, and that's that's kind of where I go. Is like, well, luxury now to me is spending more time with my kid, and that's great. Or spending more time to make more money if we wanted to. Like you have that flexibility. The luxury is the time, but. Um, once you get to the luxury thing, the point is how to price yourself. At that point, yep. it's crazy. I think all bets are off. It's totally, like, totally. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care to pretend to be an expert at that. But I would say high end. I would start with wedding budgets. Yep, yep. So I, I think something that everyone should do because we know most people uh, probably don't do this because we talk to a lot of people is uh, figure out your closing rate. Know how many inquiries you're getting every single year. Create. Uh, a, a basic philosophy for how you're, you know, capturing that and what what that what what are you means. calling a lead? Yep, yep. Um, and just find out what your close rate is. That's how you're starting, mm-hmm. you know, to figure out this process of how you should raise rates. Otherwise, you're just kind of shooting in the dark. Yeah, and and, and like every time you're evaluating this, you're asking yourself like three questions, right? Okay, what is the factors that affected this close rate, right? Am I like I, I did 10 inquiries, I booked zero weddings. Okay, let's think about those inquiries, right? How did the phone calls go? Is there anything that sticks out about the actual sales process? Then it's like, okay, we're like, you might say to, oh, every single one of these people is unqualified. Every one of these people who called me was expecting to pay 1500 and my prices are 2000 Is there something wrong with my website? Like you, you need to start, when you're evaluating this stuff, the goal is to, Figure something out and go back in the chain and figure out where the problem was. Was the problem you're getting to the wrong person? Is the problem you just didn't get enough inquiry? Some of you might be like, this is why I think having some kind of time check-in on it, by the way, is good. Not just total inquiries, but every three months. Right. Because you might look and go like, I only have four leads. I think you should be looking monthly, Jared. Yeah. If you have one lead a month, I think I can tell you what problem to fix. You need to generate more leads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is another podcast entirely, yep. but yeah. Totally. So guys, hopefully um, this has been helpful for you. Um, hopefully, Rambling podcast. Hopefully, well, I mean, it, it's, it's. I mean, we have difference of opinion on, on certain things, but I think in general, um, the way that you raise prices is, is, is pretty um, thorough. And, and I think our journey is different. So I think it is a little bit <laughs> worth a little bit of ramble. I think anyone who tells you like, this is a, like here's the way to do it mm-hmm. is probably selling you something probably yeah and it's like the way to do it is to everything is nuanced pay attention to what you're doing and Be- like that, exactly. that's what you need to do yep know your stuff so um yeah again guys hopefully this has been helpful um if you are trying to figure out should you be raising prices you know if you you know uh, want somebody to help you kind of translate your numbers. Uh, Jason does offer uh, coaching sessions. I would say to go to weddingfilm.school uh, and go to mentorships and coaching on our website. Uh, you can set up a time to be able to chat with him. Um, so <laughs> we I guess we are trying to sell something. Uh, but Jason does uh, these mentorships uh, on a weekly basis. And uh, if you want to be one of them, check those out. Uh, I have said this before. 
if you don't see a time that worked for you, email us at contact at weddingfilm.school and we'll try to get you a time that I pretty much set the times that I'm available, but it doesn't mean I'm not willing to try to be flexible. Yep. Make sure to check out the Facebook group, Wedding Film School. Uh, that's a great community where you can ask a lot of questions uh, about how the industry is going or just ask personal questions really about anything, gear, about leads, about business. There's a lot of people on there who can uh, answer. I would say it's probably like the Wedding Film School like contact form if you're looking to get help in any way, shape, or form. Uh, that's a great way. A that great you can community. Get, you can great get support. <laughs> Uh, so that's the support group. Um, also make sure to follow us on YouTube. We have two different channels, Wedding Film School and The Wedding Film School Show. Give us a follow in both of those areas. And lastly, if you are listening to this on a podcast, make sure to give it five stars, guys. That's, you know, helps us out a lot. Helps us get in front of more wedding filmmakers and grow this community. Again, guys, thank you for your time. We'll see you next week right here on Wedding Film School. <laughs>